0: have been, though, uh, if you have not been with us, we've, we've done a little series, uh, four weeks in the Lord's Prayer, Teach Us to Pray. At the beginning of uh, the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, Jesus was a busy guy. People pressing in on him all the time. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. And every now and then, he needed a break, and he would pull away, and he would just go off to a quiet place alone and pray. It was on one of those occasions that his disciples saw that. And they looked over and they said, wow, there's something there. He's got something going on. And they came to him and said, hey, teach us to pray. And so this is the prayer that he gave them. And that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And we're going to wrap that up this morning. But I thought just in conclusion, maybe I would take a couple minutes and just review quickly where we've been before we close up. So we started off uh, in the, with the, the first little phrase of this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we're praying there. Jesus says, I want you to pray that my name would be hallowed. My name would be revered. It would be honored. It would be distinct, set apart, lifted up. And, and we said that the, the Lord's name very often is either hallowed, it's, it's exalted, lifted up, or it's desecrated, it's dishonored through our lives. And that people very often will make a decision, a judgment about who God is and what He is like based on us. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen one of those bumper stickers that says, Lord, save me from your followers. Have you ever seen that? I I, I kind of wanted to get one. Uh, every now and then, you, you know, you you see something, you hear something done in the name of Jesus and you just go, gosh, why would you do that? Um, but I think the point here is simply this, that part of the answer to that prayer, at least, is lies in you and I, and who we are, and what, and what how we conduct ourselves. And, and my prayer for myself and for our church is that what we do would glorify the name of God, that it would lift God up, that people would look at us and say, hey, whatever God they serve, that's a good God. And uh, I love that about us. I, I love... Uh, you know our our ministry to the poor in the community and our caring for people because I think those are things that lift the name of God up and so part of the answer to the prayer How be your name really does uh, rest in in us and and that's a theme that we'll see throughout we've seen throughout and we'll continue to see today the Lord's prayer is that some of the answers to the prayers that God told us to pray are really tied into who we are as His people and His followers. The second week we we looked at the phrase here that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this, of course, is a prayer that we're familiar with. It really lies at the heart and soul of who we are in the Vineyard Movement. It's a prayer for the rule of God, the reality of God's presence that will one day in heaven be complete to break through into our reality today. That in heaven, when we're with Him, it says there'll be no death, no pain, no tears, no mourning, no grief, no evil. It all goes away, and we're praying that some of that reality would, would, would happen in our lives here and now today. That's what we're asking for, the kingdom of God, the rule of God to come into our lives. And we see that manifest in a number of different ways. Probably one of the most profound is in the area of healing. And, and we, we believe that God is a healing God. And that we can pray and ask God to heal those that are sick among us. And that we can lay hands on them. And we can ask the rule of God to intervene in the circumstances of their lives. And that He can come. Now in saying that, I want, I want to add, and I don't think I mentioned this in the first week we looked at this, but that does not... Um, discount or exclude in any way, shape, or form uh, the medical community and medical help. We also, we, we are not of a, uh, there, there are segments of the church, streams of the church that believe that if you see a doctor or you seek medical help, that that's a lack of faith. Uh, we do not maintain that at all. We believe that God heals. And God can heal supernaturally and divinely in a second, and He can also heal through the medical community. And so we are thankful, Kim, for doctors and nurses and the medical community what they do. I'm I'm here this morning walking around pain-free because I have two titanium knees. And I am so thankful for my surgeon. And I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, three years ago, I was in pain all the time. Every step I took hurt. And I was telling somebody the other day, today, I don't even think about it. I don't even think about it. It's, it's like it never existed. So, so all that to simply say that one way the kingdom of God is manifest in healing. And I, and I want to say this morning, I really feel compelled, kind of. We're going to contend for healing. We're going to call out for God to do that. And, and it's, a, it's, it's hard sometimes. It's hard. It feels like, you know, just dragging a big weight uphill. But we're going to do it. We're going to pray and ask God to continue to heal and to continue to cause His kingdom to come into the hearts and lives of people that need His help. And that would be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, in whatever capacity. Another way that the kingdom rule of God is manifest in our lives is freedom from oppression. And that can be spiritual oppression. It can be demonic. Uh, We see in the Bible different people that were... Uh, inflicted or afflicted with demonic presence in their lives, and it caused different things to happen to them be that be that that they acted strange or weird they were deaf or mute or couldn 't walk and jesus would, would would come and intervene in a second and you know here 's something I thought about this just this morning early, I was kind of thinking about the message today and I, and I thought about somebody i 've had several people probably ask me over the years how come we don 't see that how come we don 't see these Demonize people today in our society, and my answer is this: I believe our society today is so jacked up that we actually see it a lot more than we're aware of. That's just my short answer, and I'm, I'd be happy to chat more about that with you at a, at a different time. But I really do think that there's any number of people in our culture today who are afflicted to some degree or another by demonic presence in their lives in various ways, and manifest in various ways in their lives, and that we, we could both through prayer and worship and just the intervention of God, see those things change. But but oppression can happen not only demonically, it's all demonic, um, internally in a person, but it can happen through political or economic oppression. And that's something that we are not as attuned to in our nation, but let me tell you, it's, it's very powerful in other parts of the world. I would encourage you guys, actually I would ask you, if you would, Pray with me today and in the weeks ahead for my friends, our friends in Nicaragua. Many of you have been to Nicaragua with me, and I don't know if you follow the news. It's not big news right now. You kind of have to look for it. But their country is an incredible amount of turmoil. They have been underneath the uh, really what is effectively a dictatorship for the last 16 years, and the people are tired of it, and they've begun to protest. Those protests have turned violent. People have been killed, and it's 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 uh, very very tenuous. It could go either way. I told somebody this morning, they it, it could they could break out a civil war tomorrow. It's political economic oppression, and our conviction is that the spirit of God can break that. It can change the hearts of men. It can it can change governments and it can change nations, and that's the kind of thing that that we want to pray for. Last week, we looked at two little phrases, give us today our daily bread, and then we finished up with forgive us our debts or our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And if you will remember, we did a little lesson in Greek, and I said the, uh, the word translated there daily is epiusius, which is a fun word to say, but it's an interesting word as well The reason that I wanted to uh, look at it in Greek is that daily does not really communicate what it actually says. The word actually means for the coming day or for tomorrow. And the prayer here is really literally would read, give us tomorrow's bread today. And what it really is, is is it's a second prayer for the kingdom of God to come specifically in in the area of provision, that God would provide for us. You see, here's the deal. In heaven, there will be no hunger. In heaven, there will be no lack or need. In heaven, there will be no homelessness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when we're with him, all of our needs will be provided for. None of us will lack anything. And this prayer is a prayer that that truth, that reality would come to bear today. We can pray that. You can pray that. When you're struggling in your life, when when there's a lack of provision, you can say, Lord, give me tomorrow's bread today. Would you come and meet me? We can pray that for our friends who come for food. We can pray that for those that are lacking jobs and that are homeless or on the streets. We can say, Lord, let your kingdom come and, and, and give us tomorrow's bread for these people today. That's what that's about. We also talked about forgiveness. And we said that our forgiveness of others is, is not a precondition for God forgiving us, even though the text seems to read that way that the reason for that is that we tend to view it from kind of a legal perspective. We're legal people, and we, we just by virtue of living in the world today, have to think of things legally. Uh, but it, Scripture is not a legal contract. It's really written from the perspective of relationship, and it's a covenant agreement. It's, it's a, it's, it, what, what God is saying, what Jesus is telling us to pray here is that not that if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you, but because I forgive you, you should forgive others. There's there, there a relational dynamic to that. In a marriage, you say, I love you, and you expect somebody to say, I love you back. It's the same thing, I forgive you, I forgive you. That's the way it works. And I said that there is a flow in our lives. The forgiveness of God flows into us, and it should flow out of us. And if it doesn't flow out of us, it can create spiritual constipation. And nobody wants that. It's not fun. Flows in, flows out. It's a, re- a relationship. All right, that's review. See, so you, man, you guys got the whole thing. You could have been here for three long sermons, and you got it all in ten minutes. How do you like that? This, good. this morning we're going to close this prayer. The last little saying here, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is a, uh, it's a little bit of a difficult passage be honest. So I want to pray because <laughs> I need help. Lord, I open your word to us this morning and enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see into it, that we might embrace it and take on, Lord, uh, those things that you've taught us to pray in our own lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. What exactly does that mean? Um. Are are we asking God not to tempt us? Because that's what it sounds like to me. Anybody else read it that way? sounds like we're asking God not to tempt us. That doesn't seem right, does it, to you? Why would God tempt us? It's not a trick question. (laughs) I love you guys. God wouldn't tempt us. Our old friend James tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt Anyone, God will not, would not, does not tempt us. When temptation comes our way, that is not from God. I want to take another look at the Greek today. Uh, I, was, you know, I was thinking about it. I don't know if you ever go, why, why does he always do that? Why do you go to the Greek? And The reason is this. If you, anybody that speaks two languages, if you're bilingual, you understand this, that when you speak one language, sometimes the word in that language that's translated to mean what that word means in another language isn't exactly the same. And it can be confusing, and that's why. So as, as hard as Bible translators have worked to translate ancient Greek into modern English, sometimes it doesn't quite communicate, it helps us to look at the original word and to kind of think about what was the author saying. So I wanted to do that here this morning. This word temptation is parasmos, and it can mean trial, testing, or temptation, And I want to look at the definition down there at the bottom from the Bible encyclopedia. It says, temptation or test, both senses can apply simultaneously depending on the context. This is super important. The positive sense, which would be a test, or the negative sense, temptation, are functions of the context, not merely the words themselves. And so what that is saying to us is that it's the exact same word, but how it's used determines if it means a test or a temptation. And we can see that. I want to show you what I mean looking back at James again. So this is James chapter 1. It says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The word trials is parosmos. Because you know that the testing, parosmos, of your faith produces Perseverance. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, Parasmos, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, Parasmos, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So my point is that in a short paragraph, the same Greek word is translated three different ways into English, and the the way that you know what it means is simply by the context. And so there's a difference between a, a trial or a test and a temptation. So, my point is simply this. I think, by and large, our Bible translators have kind of missed it here. Can I say that? Can I say that? Okay. Um, I think this word would be better translated test than temptation in this particular context. In fact, uh, my man N.T. Wright, N.T. Wright is one of the leading Bible scholars in the world today, currently alive. He has recently come out with a contemporary translation called the King of New Testament. If you haven't seen this, you should pick it up. It's fantastic. It's a great uh, tool just to, to read with your whatever Bible, if you use NIV or NRSV, with it just to get a little kingdom perspective. But my point in sharing that is that right gets it right. He says in Matthew, don't bring us to the great trial. And then in Luke's uh, version of the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't put us to the test. So I I think that's a better translation. Uh, A test rather than a temptation. Don't test us. What's the difference, you say? What's the difference? Remember the definition we read a minute ago, the positive and the negative? So... Temptation, when someone tempts you, that's a bad thing. And their motivation, when somebody tempts you, their motivation is for you to fail. They want to see you fall. That's the deal, okay? Some of you, I'm dating myself here, they don't do this anymore. Cartoons today are so weak. Back in the day when cartoons were good, you had either Tom and Jerry, I think, or sometimes Donald Duck, and they would have the little angel and the little devil on their shoulder. You remember that? You know, and the angel would say, would say, don't do it, don't go there, don't go down that road, it's bad, it's bad, you'll die. And the devil would go, ah, do it, do it, go, go, go. And, and, then, and then the character would have to decide, what do I do, what do I do, which way do I go? Well, the devil, the, the tempter, wants them to do the bad thing, and his motivation is that they would fail, that they would crash and burn. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy comes and he tempts us because he wants us to fall. The angel, on the other hand, the, and we'll just, you know, say, God here, God doesn't tempt us. Uh, because He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to succeed, but He does give us tests. And, and and the purpose in God giving us a test is for our strength and our growth. His motivation is that we would succeed, not that we would fail. Do you see the difference between the two? It's super important. God does not tempt. James told us that He can't tempt you, but He does test us. All through Scripture, we see God testing His people, going all the way back, OT. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that God is speaking to the Israelites you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land of the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. God wants them to live and increase and to get into the promised land. That's his motivation. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God's testing them, but his motivation in doing so is is their success and their growth. That's the that's the thing and I believe that this text should read don't lead us into a test because but God's motivation in saying that to us is he wants us to grow. Amen. That was an amen by the way. She loves her papa. Um, Jesus tells us in the parable of the of the shrewd manager, you remember, he says, who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. So that's a test. God gives us something, whatever. It can be a gift or a talent. It could be money. It could be some other resource. But he says, I'll give you this much. And then he he watches to see what we do with what we've been given. And if we don't use it effectively and appropriately, then that's that. But if we do use it effectively and appropriately, if it bears fruit, then He gives us more. And that can be true in a number of different contexts. I mean, that can be true of spiritual gifts. I, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm just going to th- lob this one out there right now. I think the gift of prophecy, I think some of you guys have the gift of prophecy, and you don't use it enough. Get out there. Just give it a shot. See what happens. Give a word, get a word. Just try it. You know? Amen. Okay, good. Making sure you're awake. Ember's awake. I don't know if anybody else is. Um, Couple things, though. I want to say about testing. So so two things. One is, God does test us, but not all tests are from God, okay? So sometimes it requires, I think, some discernment and wisdom. I think it, it, it requires... Uh, you, you know, sometimes bringing other people into a situation and asking for prayer and community, it, it requires really evaluating because sometimes it's not a test at all. It actually is a temptation, right? Usually we know the difference between the two, but sometimes it's hard to tell. And and sometimes it's not a, a temptation or a test. It's just stuff, you know? Not every trial or every hardship that we go through is a test from God. Is that amen? Okay. Oh, see, should I, I will say this. Sometimes in life, stuff just happens. Okay? It's not, this is a little smiley poo. He's happy. He's a happy poo. Sometimes things just happen and we can't say every bad thing is a test from God. Look, here's the reality. The reality is there is evil in the world, and the enemy tempts us. But also, there's people in the world. And sometimes people do dumb things. Okay? We make mistakes. We make bad decisions. And sometimes stuff just happens. And you can't... So it it does. It's a process of really thinking through. Is God testing me? Is this something from the Lord putting in front of me? And we, we have to really weigh that out and think it through. So... All that to say this, simply, I think that the text is better translated. Don't put us to the test. But the point is, what does that mean? We ask God not to test us. So what are we saying here? And I think there's two options. I'm going to give you two options today, and and you can take either one and or both. How's that? Multi-choice. Why would Jesus say, pray this prayer? I think one potential reason is, is simple. How many of you like tests? <laughs> Stephanie's not sure. She might. Yeah, most of us don't like tests. Tests are hard. Yeah, You know, we get nervous the night before a test, right? Um, it, it could just be this simple that, you know, hey, tests are challenging. I don't know if I, I want that test, so don't give me that test. I mean, maybe it's that simple, and I'll let, I'll let you... Take that if you want. I think there might be a little bit deeper meaning of myself. I believe throughout this prayer, if you recall each week, the answer to the prayer is tied very closely with who we are as God's people. Remember, Hallowed Be Your Name is tied into how we represent God in the world today. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we're, 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 we're agents of the kingdom. We help facilitate that process. And so if this phrase is consistent with the rest of the prayer, I would think that maybe praying God don't test us is tied into who we are as people. And it, it might be along the lines of this, that God, would you mature me and would you cause me to grow and would you help me to be the kind of person that no longer needs to be tested? Would you help me to be the kind of person that is mature enough to walk with you, uh, help me to as as John Wimber used to say, grow up before I grow old. Help help me to be somebody that represents you well in the world today. You guys want to come up? So let me just kind of conclude and and say this in regards to the Lord's Prayer. First of all, we have not said this, but I, I, I think you guys are all aware that You know, as kids, and most of us, many of us, almost everybody has memorized this prayer word for word, phrase for phrase, and we can recite it out loud, but that's not necessarily the idea here, to to memorize this prayer and just spout it back to God. The idea is really, it's a pattern, it's a model for prayer in our life, that we ask God for these things uh, to grow, but we make application of those principles into our our day-to-day existence and into our our regular prayer life. the other thing that I just think is important that I, I feel has been the, the main emphasis throughout is that much of the answer to the prayer that we pray really is tied to who we are as the people of God. And, it, and it's really an encouragement for us to not just pray these things, but to be these things. To learn to walk in maturity and, and walk in wisdom and walk in forgiveness and walk in grace. I, 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 you know, this morning... Wally came up at the end and and just kind of encouraged us in terms of community and fellowship. And I I just want to say how important that is. You know, if there's things in our life that are... Don't let the enemy steal what God has put in our hearts. If If there's something happening in between you and another person that's hindering your relationship with God, for gosh sakes, let's deal with that and get rid of it so we can move forward with God. Let's grow together, not apart. So so I think in the Lord's Prayer, there really is a, a direct connection between how we pray and who we are. All right? Let's stand.